prejudice, bias, discrimination, inequality. Whether you're a victim or a perpetrator of these, join me on this journey of creating an inclusive corporate world. We're tackling taboo topics and breaking workplace stigma one episode at a time. This is Tea and Talks with Tina. I'm your host, Tina Rahman. Introduce yourself. Tell me a little bit about your early life and you know you your background. Well, I am a Scotland-born, Canadian-raised, mother of two uh, and two stepchildren and a little dog, very happily married, living in Edmonton, Alberta, and working on this very important issue for the last 10 years, which I am very pleased about to see the progress that we've made. Um, So you said you were born in Scotland, and one of the questions that I was asking before technology decided to cut us off was um, the move, the the move from Scotland to Canada. I mean, I mean, if you wouldn't mind telling us what kind of brought that about, because that's that's a big change, isn't it? It is a huge change. Now I was only six years old at the time, but back in that day, everybody was looking for better opportunities, uh, ways to, you know, careers, financial opportunity for us to see different parts of the world and so my parents decided they would bring us to Canada and I remember the the flight over here um, the five children on the airplane my mother sitting with a budgie in a cage on her lap <laughs> and for, you know my dad had come six months before and we came here in January and let me tell you it was shocking to get off that plane and see this, the snow and feel that cold we've not seen that before so yeah, it was a huge move. Uh, I, I was pretty shy at the time, and I had a pretty funny accent. And uh, being shy, it's hard to have that funny accent because kids call you out. Everybody wants to hear what you have to say. And I just wanted to crawl into a corner and disappear. I hated that kind of attention. It was a big adjustment, but uh, Canada's a gorgeous country. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely on my bucket list of countries that I must visit. So, um, I mean, everything about Canada, I think it's, it's definitely appealing to me. And um, I want to know a little bit more about your professional background now, because what you're, the profession that you're in, I would argue that it's not the norm. It is still a niche because, I mean, particularly for your organisation. I mean, what's led to you choosing this career path? Well, I initially was, you know, for most of my life, I wanted to be a gym teacher, but that took a turn. (laughs) So I ended up in social work because really I was already doing social work. It's the type of person that I am. I listen to people's problems. I give them feedback. I try to identify issues or gaps and I'm all for justice. And that's the foundation of our, our profession. So ended up doing a diploma in social work, working with that for 10 years and helping families and individuals. Then I got a bachelor's degree and started to work in uh, abuse, investigating abuse and training investigators, assessing domestic violence, sexual abuse, child abuse, you know, addictions, all kinds of abuse. And then when I went through workplace bullying, I was working in a hospital. Um, I decided that I needed to get a master's degree that would specialize in this area because we needed a resource. It was a huge gap in services. And I knew that people were going to be needing it. And so that's what I did, went and got a master's degree. And then I took about three years of training in trauma therapy. Wow. So I specialize as a trauma therapist, treating this kind of injury, which is unique. Mm. 
Mm. Um, uh, just just on that, while you said trauma therapy, that that's again a niche in a niche. Why did you decide to do trauma out of you know? I mean, with this type of social work, there's so many angles that one can take. But trauma, mm-hmm. I suppose, I, I'm wondering, it was that related to any experiences? I mean, if you've gone through or things that you've seen in life along the way that really prompted you to look at the trauma side of things well like I said I I went through this and I I, when I did I went looking for help and I I saw probably five therapists in a row because four of them just actually made me worse they didn't they didn't really know this injury and even though I didn't understand it either I was I was quite desperate for some understanding some knowledge some help some support but they just made me worse. And, and the reason that they did that is because they didn't understand the injury and the types of modalities that they were using with me just made it a lot worse until I found one that was phenomenal. And I knew then that this was the kind of treatment people were going to need. Mm-hmm. So once I did my master's degree, I decided I would do trauma therapy because whatever stage people are at, whether it's early stages, moderate or chronic, I would have the tools to assist them regardless, whether they had reached that trauma phase of the injury or not. It's just a far more wide range of of skill sets that I can use and adapt to any client that comes in. I mean, I think that's amazing what you just said because you you essentially wanted to be the go-to for whatever type of trauma that somebody's feeling or or experiencing and going through. Um, so, so then obviously it, it's led you to, to start your amazing organization that, you know, I've done so much research on, and um, you've been running that for, for 10 years, you've got 33, 34 years in social work. I mean, you are the prime of, I mean, everything. I know that you're, you, I think you're the only type of organization in Canada that does this. Is that correct? There's lots of people in Canada that do different aspects of what I do, but I'm, I am the first uh, recovery or resource center that, that provides full time, you know, Monday to Friday, nine to five, plus sometimes on weekends and evenings. Well, service. Sure, yeah. And it's, you know, it's quite a wide range of services. And if, if it's all right, I'll go into the type of service that I'm doing. I, I really believe in a holistic perspective. That's part of my social work training anyway. And I knew that when I went through this, we needed services to help leaders. Obviously, we need we uh, leaders need to be set up for success. They need to be trained. They need to be competent. They need to be confident. Um, that kind of a leader does will not bully. Obviously, they need to be uh, understand the the psychological aspect of psychological harassment, of psychological hazards of any kind. And if we've got our leaders set up for success and they're a cohesive team, they all agree to zero tolerance, then at least 74% of bullying in the workplace is going to be removed because that's what the statistics say. 74% of bullying in the workplace is is top down. So obviously, if we strengthen that, uh, we review our hiring practices, we've got a really good chance of getting ready for bullying altogether. So I do work with leadership, training, coaching, consulting, assessing workplace cultures, But I also have another aspect to my service, and that's uh, the clinical side, not just for treatment, for education, for coaching, advocacy, and also for counseling if that's needed. So I work with those who are targeted, those who end up with injuries. I work with bystanders because I believe that 
they're also injured and they're struggling and suffering. And, and sometimes they just don't know what to do. And I also work with those who are offending, those who are identified as workplace bullies, especially after an investigation substantiates it. Uh, often the employer will send them to me on a mandatory basis. It's the only way to make them accountable, to be honest, is yeah. to do it mandatorily. I have had a very few, but I have had people come to me and say, I think I might be a bully and I'd like you to assess me and help wow. me. Adjust. I know that is amazing. Uh, I would say at least four people have done that. Mm. Two men and two women. It, automatically, I'm impressed and I'm intrigued. And I say to them, well, a true blue bully would never come through my door willingly, but let's mm. look at it. <laughs> wow. And so, yeah, there were some risk factors with them, but I have worked with men and women that have been identified for having these disruptive, offensive behaviors. Um, and it's actually been the best part of my learning because mm. I'm really getting into the nitty gritty of what makes them do it. Uh, so it's been, yeah, a, a wide range of services is what makes my centre unique. And I think so. I think that is incredible because in the UK, just, just like you say, um, for Canada and the UK, we do have different organisations and centres that look at different aspects of bullying and it's their interpretation of bullying. It's their perception of bullying. But, you know, I've got my notes here and it's completely, I mean, this, this, this list is never ending on the, the services that you provide um, and everything that I've seen. You do Workplace Bullying Awareness Week, which is a, a worldwide issue and you do that across the globe. You do education, prevention, prevention repair and recovery, intervention, events, um, bullying when it's um, in relation to ADHD how to conduct workplace investigations. Um, I mean, everything from, from the practical side of it, but what really, really fascinated me about your organization, Linda, is your research, your, 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 your contribution to the research links between, I mean, as you said, why someone bullies, so the justification in their minds behind their actions because, you know, as you said, it, it comes from the top down, essentially. Mm -hmm. So your, your organisation, it doesn't just look at every area of bullying. It's looking at bullying from all different eyes. And you've got so many different approaches of, of dealing with it. And where you're, you know, you, you work with statistics and research, you know, it's continually updated. So that's why I was very, very keen to know your input. And I mean, you do some amazing things and you're, you're clearly making a, a massive difference. But I know there's a question niggling in all of my listeners, uh, listeners' minds. And that is, what is bullying? And the reason why I ask that question is because in, in my experience as a HR consultant, you know, I speak to stakeholders, CEOs, all the way to, you know, employees of, of all levels. Everybody has a different definition. Sometimes mm -hmm. The managers don't think that they're bullying, but in other industries or other office bases, that's that same action is classed as bullying. So in, in a nutshell, what is bullying and harassment even? Well, you can't fit it into a nutshell, but I'll do it. I'll, I'll try to be very, very articulate. No, give us all of your wisdom, Linda. That's exactly what we need. All of your wisdom. Yeah. Well, we've got to correct some of the assumptions. We've got to correct some of the myths. We've got to correct some of the stigma. Yes. So there's, there's, there's a lot to say, and, and you're right. It's different. It's, it's defined differently depending on what country you're in or what language you use. And so there is confusion about it. 
So I'll do my best to try and clear some of that up. I've looked at all the different research and I tried to put together something very simple that, that everyone can relate to. Mm. But it's so complicated. You have to look at it like it's on a spectrum. Mm -hmm. And if you really pay attention to the early warning signs that would be on the left side of that spectrum, the early warning signs are those, those that constant sarcasm, the cynicism, the jealousy comments, the negativity, the, the rudeness, the meanness. Well, if you don't catch it right there, you know, where you used, we used to blow it off and say, oh, it's just a personality conflict. It's just the mm -hmm. way they are. Mm -hmm. Those that's all, that's been a mistake. We've made many mistakes doing that. These are the early warning signs you want to catch it. Zero tolerance is zero tolerance. So if you've got rudeness going on, you've got sarcasm and it's and it's festering, it's going to evolve. Mm. And if you see that that spectrum in your mind's eye, go to the middle. It's That's where the abrasiveness is. That's where the incivility is. That's where you've got people that are ostracizing people, excluding them deliberately and, and all those dirty looks and the rumors and the gossip it's it's from the beginning to the middle it's evolving it's progressing and then you're going to enter into the more psychological violence side of that spectrum and that's where you're going to be seeing the gaslighting and the the setting people up deliberately for you know sabotage mm. most of that spectrum people are not really all that consciously aware of what they're doing they're getting away with it they're getting away with it for so long that it just they push the bar and they get worse and they push the bar they get away with it they might even get promoted they might get bonuses they might get mm. people are even hired because of the tendencies they have the abrasiveness the incivility and so if that's the message that they're constantly getting that it's okay it's normalized we don't even see it half the time because it's so normalized then mm. the behaviors just get worse and they get worse and they get worse on the end of that spectrum where i talked about violence that's where you're going to see your narcissistic traits, you're going to see your sociopathic traits, um, psychopathic traits. That's where there's always intention to hurt you in some way. That majority of that other side of that spectrum, though, intention, I would have to really question it. Mm -hmm. uh, are they consciously aware of what the outcome is that they want from that behavior that they're doing? Mm -hmm. That takes specialists to really assess that. Mm. When I see people saying, oh, all bullies are narcissists, you're making a mistake. Uh, certainly when it's progressed and certainly with very few people are actually born with personality disorder of narcissism, but a lot of people are walking around with those traits. So I hope you're getting the understanding that it's very yeah. complex. It's multi-layered. It's mm. every individual is unique. Every case is unique. We cannot solve it or identify it with one brush. It takes a team to really find out where the roots of this problem is coming. Mm. And often it, we, we need our leaders really uh, in-depth trained and trauma-informed because of the psychological components to it. Workplace yeah. bullying is not like childhood bullying, where it's that physical aggression and it's usually the meek or mild child that's being targeted by a big brute. And I'm not talking size, personality can be big, it doesn't matter about size. That's childhood bullying. That's different. And certainly uh, you can bully a kid in a one day, you can taunt them and shove them and steal their backpacks. But workplace bullying is never one time, never, never no. one time. And research will tell you that it's if these behaviors continue on for six months or more, then you're probably looking at a case of workplace bullying. 
For those of us who do this work, especially those of us who treat this injury, we are seeing valid cases of three months or more. So I would use that as a measure. Is there a variety of really negative tactics like rumors, um, shunning, embarrassing, telling lies, falsely accusing, a variety of those tactics that have continued on for more than three months with or without intent, but it's causing harm. I would use that as kind of my measurement for whether we're looking at a case of workplace bullying. I think that's watch and learn for those early warning signs because you want you want to prevent. Sorry that is that. amazing. That is such a good good explanation. Thank you so much, Linda. You actually answered one of my questions. I was going to ask you. So, bullying does it have to be intentional or non-intentional? But but you've just explained that it's not the intentions; it's the actions. But on on what you said about, um, I mean, firstly, actually, I should I should say that you made such. I think an amazing point about workplace bullying being different to childhood bullying. I, I believe that the reason why some some of us are naive of of bullying in the workplace, and you know, they don't think that they're actually you know engaging in that type of action on their side is because they think mm, it's not really bullying because you know childhood bullying is is a thing. You know, what's an adult? You know, in an adult setting, what's bullying? So. You know, I, I, in your in your kind of opinion, do you think that's why managers perhaps don't always think that they're bullying? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one of the main problems that we have is that lack of self insight and that lack of self monitoring. And I think a lot of people assume that it's very much like childhood bullying. I know I did. I mean, I had twenty two years of experience and in walking through all kinds of abuse. But when I went through it, I had no idea what was going on. I just knew that something wasn't right and it was making me sick. And I thought, well, if I'm being bullied, then I must be, I must be viewed as being somebody who's incompetent. And I obviously, I went straight into that self-doubt. What's wrong with me? Why are they constantly picking on me? And yet when I did read the research, and I can tell you the research is valid because I've seen thousands of people individuals and groups and have trained thousands over the last 10 years. And I can tell you the research is consistent and always consistent that actually it's the opposite that of people that are being bullied. They're very strong. They're very educated. They're very articulate. Um, the people that come through my door for help, unfortunately wait too long. And there's a reason for that, but they wait too long and they're quite sick by the time they come to see me. But they're all dynamic. They're, they're consistently very dedicated, very loyal, very ethical. They're all people who've stepped up and said, hey, you can't treat people that way. And I, it baffles me. Isn't that what the employer wants? Isn't that what business owners want? You want those hardworking, dedicated, loyal people. Mm. Why are we protecting bullies in the workplace? Why are we covering it up, denying it, minimizing it, justifying it, instead of making them accountable? and having consequences ready for them and supporting those that are actually trying to protect our business. It's, it's just makes you scratch your head. <laughs> I mean, I think what you just said about the research behind people being bullied actually proved to be really dedicated and loyal. A lot of people going through that will really need to hear that. I'm so, I'm so, so glad that you pointed that out because as you said, you've experienced it and you went through self-doubt. You thought, am I incompetent? There's something wrong. You know, if you're being bullied, there's something wrong with me. But if the research shows 
the opposite. I think I think a lot of people listening to this will be pleased to hear that. Well, unfortunately, the problem when I said that people wait too long, I'm going to tell you why. It's because we don't know what's going on. We don't we don't we're not trained. And that's why training should be mandatory for every single layer of employment you have from top down, bottom up, we should have training so that you identify it, you have language to identify it, and you know what to do about it. So like you said in the very beginning, what is it? Everybody's confused. Well, we need our employees to know what it is. We need them to, uh, to see it quicker. That means prevention. We want intervention, appropriate intervention, and we want early intervention. I'm doing crisis intervention because they're not trained to identify it early. And leaders, you want your, your employees to identify it before there's an injury. Because once there's an injury, it's going to cost you. And when I say injury, I'm talking about um, insomnia, depression, anxiety, PTSD, mm. gastrointestinal, cardiac. Uh, we're seeing people having serious illness to the point where they're having these heart attacks and they're proving they actually are proving medically that it is not related to any heart condition. It's related to bullying. We want people are suffering suicidal ideation. People are completing suicides. So business owners need to be taking into con consideration that training them is actually the best prevention, but also leaders need to know that they need to role model that zero tolerance is what they're committed to. That means your policies and procedures are up to date. It means that you have alternative reporting practices in place, just in case it is the HR person that they feel is bullying them. Well, obviously they can't report to HR. If it's the leader that's bullying them, they can't report to the leader. You have to have different alternative processes, make it safe for them to report and make it right. And if you do that, you are actually going to save yourself multiple millions every year. Wow, I completely agree with you. I think every single organization, wherever you are in the world, needs to have this form of education, exactly what you do, because you do it you know, from the top all the way you know, down with every single process. And um, I think one of the things that you said really kind of struck a thought in my mind, um, you said a, a lot of times bullies are kind of praised in the workplace or, you know, they're not held accountable for their actions. I mean, why do you think from, you know, I know you speak to so many different people, you know, leaders of businesses. Why do you think that they act like that? What, what is the thought process behind, you know, allowing a bully to get away with it? Why are they so idolized? Well, there's, that's a, a, a big question. And again, every case is unique. So I can tell you a couple of answers here, but it certainly isn't exhaustive. Mm. You know, sometimes if we're looking at people who are going to just step on anybody to get to the top, we're looking more at that narcissistic side. They don't care about your feelings. They just want to be in position of power. They're pretty charming people and they're, they present very, very, very strong, very skilled, very charming, and they can work their way up and fool us all. You know, sometimes these are the people that you have on a pedestal because they've got you fooled sometimes. So I would say take another look at those pedestals and, and how often are they bragging about themselves because you, you just might have yourself a narcissist there. Mm. Again, it's, it's insidious, it's subtle. Uh, these people 
are really quite good at these behaviors and, and covering them up and they're strong. Sometimes they're actually trained to be that way. If you look at the authoritarian leadership style, that's quite a popular style. And it, it actually is a risk factor for workplace bullying, but that's yet the popular style. So we have a problem there. We still have some of the old boys club and the old girls club that are training our new people with that style. So we have to really take a look at it. Uh, another issue that I've seen over the last 10 years is that every time I ask a group of leaders that I'm training, do you know your leadership style? I, I get that deer in the headlights look. Do you really know what style you are using that you, you could you know, describe yourself as? Most, honestly, most people don't. If that you don't is know a very, very good question. That is a very, very good way of going about it actually. If you don't know your style, how do you know that you're effective? How do you know where you need to grow? How do you know what, to, what tools to draw on or what you wanna work on? So I, I would say that's, we've identified a problem right there. And I would say, you know, read a book on leading with emotional intelligence. Uh, take a course on leading with emotional intelligence and make that your foundation of your style. And then look at different styles like situational or democratic leader. Try to look around and, and bring co components together because you're gonna need to draw on different things with all the different personalities you've got. Sometimes people bully because they have a mental illness and they've never been assessed. They don't know, uh, they haven't, on their treatment. We have people out there with borderline personality disorder or bipolar disorder, and they're not in treatment and they need to be. And sometimes we have people bullying because they have an addiction or they're covering up something else like a workplace affair, or perhaps they are, are extorting money. We have those cases, they're around, wow. and maybe they're not dealing with it because they've got something else that they're doing that they don't want exposed. They've made mistakes and they don't want it exposed. There's always an agenda of some kind, mm -hmm. and leaders need to do some self-searching, some self-insight as to what kind of environment do you want to have in your workplace? You set the tone of the environment and do some maybe assessing, self-assessing or bring someone in to do an assessment of your leadership team and, and nip it before it starts costing you millions. Wow, I think that's very true. I love what you said there about leadership styles. That's, that's definitely something that not everybody looks at because you might be in a role where you're asked to be a leader or you're asked to look after a team but it doesn't mean you know how to be a leader because you don't have the traits or you don't know how to you know how to perform as a leader um but in in leadership styles do you think there is a negative narrative or stigma attached to being a leader where you know you know i i people think i must be you know a controlling leader i must kick and scream when i want something and bully my staff because you know, shouting means control. Shouting means I'm important. Shouting means, you know, I have influence in the business. Do you think that's that's still a narrative that we, we have nowadays in the workplaces? Well, I think it might be a belief system for some people, but it's, it's not a narrative that I'm used to hearing here, but it, it really just, it speaks to the fact that this person is not skilled. They don't feel confident enough to use communication style that reaches the goal they want. Instead, they scream and they yell, and that talks that speaks to insecurity and incompetence. Mm -hmm. If you feel that you need to be aggressive verbally or physically to get your way, 
then we know there's something not right there, don't we? That that person is not competent. So like I said before, uh, competent, confident leaders don't bully. Happy people don't bully. That that gives us the answer right there. What's wrong? Yeah, that's they need you, said, um, you, you said that's not something you hear a lot there. So I'm assuming in Canada, that's not very usual. I mean, in the UK, with the people that I speak to, that's a very usual, I wouldn't call it a leadership style because it's not something that it is... No promoted but a lot of managers or you know leaders in organizations follow that type of leadership where the thought process is if I don't kick and scream when I want something doing then I'm not important and I, I hold no weight in the organization so if that's not something that happens in Canada it's great to hear but what are the kind of typical workplace bullying behaviors that happen in Canada from a staff member's perspective and also the manager's perspective? Well, it does happen here, Tina, just, just like it happens everywhere else in the world, but it's not like a dialogue. I, I have to scream and yell to get my way. Fine. People aren't talking about it that way, but it's definitely what we're, what we're seeing. And I, that is why we're seeing 74% of bullying coming from top down. It's for that belief system right there that you know if I'm gonna to have to default to physical aggression or verbal aggression because I can't get people to do what I want any other way. To me, that speaks to the fact that they shouldn't be in a leadership position until they have skills that that prevent them from yelling and screaming. They should not be in that leadership position. We need to set our leaders up for success. So hire because they are trained, skilled, competent. They're they're held to a higher level of expectation with skill sets and knowledge. So make sure they're at that higher level. And if they're not, and you just simply can't fill that position, then you better send your leader for training and get them to a place where they're confident and competent. If they are, I want to speak to the fact that a lot of these behaviors are not hardwired, but they've gotten away with them for many years. So they practice them. Well, we've got to stop that. And if they say to you that, you know, I'm, I'm 50 years old, I'm, uh, this is the way I am, I can't change now, I call BS on that. Because no, you're not hardwired to behave that way. You might have got away with it for a long time, but you can change. And if you choose not to, then bye-bye, because that's not the environment I want here. But if you do change, choose to change, well, we've got some coaches for you here. We've got some really good courses for you here. We've got some books for you here that you can change if you choose to, if you're made to. That, that's uh, that's really interesting. I think you're right. Um, I, I want to ask you a, a question about an actual physical act of bullying. In in your expertise and with all of your knowledge, would you regard this as bullying? If somebody in the workplace um, is continuously just always in a bad mood, you know, screaming and shouting at their peers, kind of talking down on them, but specifically targets someone who can't talk back or doesn't talk back or you know is that bullying because the other person on the receiving end won't you know won't protect themselves or you know if if this person who is screaming and shouting all the time what about if they do that with somebody who defends themselves so which of them is bullying or is it still bullying in both both occasions well when you when you ask that question go back to the definition so are we seeing a variety of different tactics being used? Um, it is not just that I roll my eyes at you. It's, it's not just that I you know, spread a rumor about you. It's not just that I scream at you or slam a door in your face. Is it a variety of these tactics that has happened over three months 
uh, with or without intent? And is it causing me some harm? Right. So remember that kind of formula there, right. because you need you need that information. Is is yelling and screaming a risk factor? Yes. Mm -hmm. Does it define bullying? It's part of it. But is it at that stage yet? Are we at the rudeness stage, meanness stage, hurtful, uh, sarcastic, poor teasing and joking? Are we at that stage? Or are we evolving to a point where we know now it's bullying? Workplace right. bullying is it fits that quote, death by a thousand cuts. Mm -hmm. So when when I've changed that quote to psychological injury by a thousand psychological insults. So over time, there's going to be an injury for anybody. It's going to wear you down. I hope mm. that helps define with that question. That's that's really um, helpful, actually, because when you when you face a situation or a scenario like that, you can think back to your formula, which is, I think is great. But in the instance that, say, for this situation that I've described, let's say it's been six months and this aggressive worker comes into the workplace every morning just shouts and screams for no apparent reason speaks down in people derogatory comments and just is awful to be around it's been six months so it's gone up over the three or three three months in your in your formula yeah. what about you know if I was on the receiving end of it I consider myself as a very confident person I you know I can speak for myself I, I'm not easily phased but just because I'm a strong, independent, you know, person who's able to stand up for myself, does that mean I'm not being bullied now? Because he, he's, he's this person that's done this to me, every other box of bullying. But the only difference is the person on the receiving end. I'm, I'm quite, you know, strong and resilient. Does that now mean I'm not bullying, being bullied? Or Not at all. Not at all. It means you're still being bullied. It just okay. means that you're not injured. <laughs> right, so, okay, I see. yeah, the, the behaviors are still inappropriate. They, should, they, they obviously define the behavior. If you look at your company's policies and procedures, mission statement, value statement, whatever the case may be, that behavior should be complete breach against your policies and the environment that you want. So focus on that behavior, not on the result. Yeah. Right. That's, I think that's really important for, for people to understand because I think in, in a lot of industries, in specifically male-dominated industries, you have, you know, people who are able to defend themselves and, you know, situations that they come across and, you know, problems that have existed for months and months. But, you know, you have managers who will refuse to deal with it because, you know, they can look after themselves, you know, they're men and they know what they're doing, they'll get over it. But effectively, what you're saying is it should be nipped in the bud. It should be dealt with because these actions, regardless of what side it's coming from, is still bullying. Well, it's just you know, bullying is just like like we're living in a pandemic right now. So I'm going to use this. Bullying is a virus. It is. And it spreads right through your entire company. So maybe you weren't hurt, but the environment is going to be hurt if that continues. People around are going to be uncomfortable. It's going to start some some resentment and it's going to start some jealousy it's going to start you know relationships breaking down and it and it's just going to fester into a disease that is going to destroy your company wow well i think that's um really important for people to understand because quite often you know me being on the hr side of it i am I'm, I'm often i'm asked questions about this so it's so great to get your your input and your and your feedback on all of this i mean 
I wanna I wanna ask you one last question before we go. You're you're doing so well with your organization. Um I, mean, I think it's fabulous. It's the Canadian Institute of Workplace Bullying and Harassment Resources. Keyword for me is resources. You have everything any company that you know would ever need to deal with any type of bullying. What's your future plans? You know, are, are you broadening? Where, what's your goals? What what else do you want to achieve for your company? There's always going to be gaps to identify, Tina. You know, we I just want to talk quickly about in, institutional betrayal. Mm-hmm. You have somebody, we have our full-time jobs, and obviously, you know, those can be demanding and stressful. And then you have bullying on top of that, which is demanding and stressful, and it's attacking us in the sense of our our immune system, and it's making us sick, physically and psychologically sick. So here we're talking costs for the employer. But in addition to that, institutional betrayal is about the the internal systems and the external systems betrayal. So if, if somebody's being targeted at work and they go to HR and HR minimizes and dismisses, that's another internal betrayal. They go to their colleagues and they say, hey, this is happening to me. And everybody goes, no, I don't think it is. Don't talk about it. Stay under the radar. Don't be so sensitive. That's institutional internal betrayal. If your leaders are denying it, minimizing it, and you're constantly getting the message that, no, it's not happening. You're the problem. Shut up. Don't talk about it. That's institutional betrayal. And then if they go to external betrayal, the union, and the union doesn't do their due diligence, or they go to human rights and they say, well, sorry, we can't help you. Or they go to a medical doctor and the doctor says, hey, it's bullying, get back to work. We don't, we don't like you know, put people on sick leave or treat them for bullying. All that ignorance, um, lack of skill, lack of knowledge, uh, lack of ethics, that's betrayal. This is the trauma of betrayal, right? Wow, wow. Yeah. I have actually never thought about that. Your- absolutely right and it just adds to you know the person feeling uncomfortable at work as if they can't work they're underperforming and it just affects every part of their life doesn't it people think it's work and you know it's professional you get over it but it it really does affect everything and you've just shown that and you've just shown us today how important it is for managers and all organizations no matter what part of the world you're in to really, really upskill their staff and raise awareness around bullying and how to actively resolve it. And I think, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm the, you're definitely somebody who I'm going to be recommending for all of my overseas conversation and contact. So I really, really appreciate you um, coming on today and giving us all of your wisdom um, as much as we could take out of you in this short window. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I look forward to kind of uh, finding out a little bit more about what you guys are doing. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you having me here and, and, and sharing this message. And we want to reach people who are potentially, you know, struggling at the moment and don't know this, but you don't have to go through this alone. Mm-hmm. Not today. This is finally out of the closet. Um, don't let shame and embarrassment silence you. That feeds the people that are toxic. Talk about it. Reach out for help. There's plenty of services in the UK. If you can't find what you need, email me. And I will help you find a resource. Amazing. Linda, I'm going to put all of your contact details on the episode, if you wouldn't mind. Um, I think you're absolutely amazing. And what a way to end the um, conversation on a very, very, very important piece of advice. Thank you so, so much for your time, Linda. Thank you, Tina. Take care. Take care.